I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. What happens at each school committee meeting has important implications for our students and our city, and this podcast aims to shine a light on the decisions our leaders are making. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing okay. It's been an interesting start of the 2022 year. Jill, last night was the first meeting of 2022, and it's been quite the challenging start for schools across our nation, with so many staff members and students out because of the coronavirus. We also saw some changes last night on the committee itself. We have a new member, Dr. Stephen Alkins. He has joined the committee, while Dr. Hardin Coleman and Ornani De Arujo are no longer serving on the committee. Dr. Alkins is a scientist. He's an expert on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging and a parent of students in Boston. There is one more seat to fill for Mayor Wu, and that will be filled, we think, in the coming weeks. So Ross, last night's meeting began, as always, with the superintendent's report. And of course, the big focus of the report was COVID-19. But before we get into what the superintendent said about the district's response to the current surge in cases, let's touch on a few of the other elements of last night's report. Yes, Jill. So sadly, the report began by honoring two members of the Boston Public Schools community who we have recently lost. First, Janet Palmer Owens, a graduate of BPS, longtime leader in the district, and a mentor of mine, passed a few weeks ago. Ms. Owens spent more than 50 years working in Boston Public Schools as a teacher, a school counselor, a principal, assistant superintendent, and chief academic officer. She left an incredible mark on generations of students and staff members. And second, the superintendent honored a 16-year-old student at Madison Park High School who was shot and killed on January 2nd. Our thoughts are with their loved ones. And with the entire Madison Park community. Next, the superintendent announced that the investigation into student mistreatment last year at the Mission Hill School is ongoing and will take some time to conclude and inform recommendations for next steps at the school. And she announced that the vote on the prospectus for the new Innovation High School, authored by a group of Charlestown parents, including Ross, will take place after reviewing public input. The rest of the superintendent's report and all of the questions that followed focused on the current COVID-19 crisis. So, Ross, let's talk about what we heard last night. These past few weeks have been some of the hardest on school leaders and teachers since the pandemic began. And we heard that sentiment expressed by the superintendent last night. By the way, the superintendent and her team and every principal, every teacher, every paraprofessional, every custodian, really all the support and staff members in every school deserve a lot of credit of how they've handled this past few weeks. We are nearly two years into the pandemic and we are facing the biggest surge in cases we've seen. And it's taken a really big toll on everyone, including everyone in BPS. But they've made it possible to keep students in school. And that's a really a Herculean effort. We heard from the superintendent about a couple of specific COVID-related policies. First, she made this announcement about school sports, which had been on hold since the winter break. I spoke with Dr. Ojakutu and Sanchez today, and just this afternoon, they shared with me that although they remain concerned about COVID spread among our athletes, they also understand the balance we all need to make in order to give our students um, care and, and to provide for their overall well-being. So they approved for us to return to practices and small group conditioning on Tuesday, January 17th. And if the numbers 
begin to decline, we can resume to competition on the 24th. However, all students must consent to twice weekly testing in order to do so. You know, for some kids, sports are a critical part of school. And of course, it's important that students are able to play safely. We heard quite a bit on this issue during public comment last night, and many commenters were appreciative of the superintendent's decision to restart sports next week. The other policy that the superintendent discussed last night relates to the COVID vaccine mandate for city employees. Ross, we discussed this issue back in the summer when acting Mayor Janey had imposed a similar mandate. What is different about Mayor Wu's mandate and what does it mean for school employees? Right. So, Jill, the variation of Mayor Wu's mandate is that all employees of Boston government, including the Boston Public Schools, must be vaccinated in order to continue to work by January 15th. Mayor Janey, if you recall, Mayor Janey had basically said that you need to be vaccinated or tested on a weekly basis. But Mayor Wu's mandate is that you must be vaccinated unless you have an exemption for religious or other health reason that needs to be approved by the city or by the school department by January 15th. So this is a this is a pretty you know firm and it was recently upheld in the courts guidelines and, and mandate from Mayor Wu. We will likely hear more reporting at the next meeting about employees who did not submit verification by the 15th and about what's being done with regard to those employees. The superintendent then handed it off to Dr. Sanchez from the Boston Public Health Commission. Ross, what did we hear from her? So Jill, so Dr. Sanchez gave us an update around number of cases and COVID cases in the city over the past number of weeks. Um, She showed sort of where we are with the spike and we're all hopeful that that comes down hopefully significantly in the next few weeks. She also spoke about more rapid tests are coming. There's better and more communication and coordination among city and state agencies. We've already seen that with the number of vaccination clinics being raised up in, in, in and across the city. And now, Jill, there's a designated testing ombudsman or ombudsperson in each school, somebody who can you know hear about any, any issues with testing and raise them up. So it seems like there's some really good citywide coordination here. That's right. And after Dr. Sanchez, we heard from Dr. Drew Eccleson, Deputy Superintendent of Academics, who outlined the factors the district is considering when making decisions on when to quarantine classrooms versus shut the whole school down. Here's what he said. At this point, there are three data points that we're looking at. One, what is the student-staff ratio? Two, what is the test-and-stay capacity of the school? At some point, the test and stay capacity might become so large that it almost becomes not feasible or impossible to accomplish over the course of a short period of time. Or three, that the interventions that are required might interrupt learning. So for example, um, in some classrooms, uh, a teacher might be required to wear full PPE regalia, including things like um, face shields, masks, aprons, gloves, And those types of things, gowns, those things might be impossible um, to to implement, particularly in a room given the nature of some students' disabilities. Ross, this seems like a pretty clear and thorough methodology and decision-making process in terms of how to address a situation that's changing so quickly in our schools. Absolutely. I mean, it it, it is really helpful to have this level of transparency in decision-making and to be clear about here's how we're making decisions about what stays open, what closes, and how do we proceed. Dr. Eccleson was also upfront and transparent about the learning that has been happening over the last two weeks. Here's what he had to say. We noticed a lot of variability. 
to be transparent around quality of lesson plans that were provided for substitutes that we need to shore up and provide some feedback to um, both our school leaders and to some of our educators. And we'll do that in the coming days. Um, and we hope that that will sort of help provide um, a continuity of learning and a consistency of learning across the system. Um, but I, I do think it would be irresponsible for me to say that like learning has continued over the last two weeks in the way that it should, because that's just not accurate, given the large numbers of student absences and the large number, rightfully so, of faculty and staff who are out. Ross, I think it's so refreshing to hear a school leader say this because it, this seems to be what many educators are feeling right now. This is such a difficult time and it's just about getting through each day while keeping people safe. And of course, the district wants to minimize the loss of learning, but the reality is that it's really hard to do so with so many students and staff out and that's okay. It's about doing the best that everyone can while we get through the biggest surge of the pandemic. And I truly appreciate, and I know that you do as well, that they are talking about this insane paradigm shift and they're being realistic and transparent about it. We then heard questions from several school committee members about the district's current COVID response. First, Lorena LaPera asked about the district's capacity to increase testing for its students, including whether BPS can go it alone without going through the statewide school testing infrastructure. Here's how the superintendent responded. We contemplated doing it on our own, you know, as you know, they don't allow opt out. Dr. Ojukutu has been vocal about us not having the opt out provision. As you know, we have about 30,000 students who have opted into our consent uh, pool testing and about 2,000 who have actively opted out. That means we have about 18,000 who have never responded to texts and to calls and, and uh, emails to try to get them to opt into our consent um, pool. Geez, Ross, those are pretty remarkable numbers. Right, Jill. Yes, 20,000 students are not getting tested at all. And among those who are getting tested, we've seen some real struggles with the system over the last few weeks in terms of timing of getting those test results back with pool testing. Now, this isn't unique to BPS. Testing infrastructure everywhere across the state is really stretched thin and facing these same challenges. But it certainly adds more urgency to the question of how we keep our students and staff safe. Absolutely. Another great question came from student representative Zyra Mercer, who always asks very insightful questions in these meetings. Last night, she asked how students who are learning remotely can access school food. Ross, what was the response from school leaders here? Right, this was a phenomenal question about if you're isolating at home, how, how are you eating, um, especially if you're home for potentially 10 school days? Um, Mr. DePina answered the question by saying that families can pick up school food at their schools, but also Ms. Costello noted that anybody who's having an issue with needing food can contact the city and the school department is working with the Office of Food Access at the city and they'll make sure that food can get to people's homes if they are in quarantining. So in addition to food insecurity, student mental health is an issue where we've seen increasing severity and urgency over the course of this pandemic. And I was glad to hear that the new school committee member, Dr. Elkins, asked about that last night. Here's what he said. With the chronic absenteeism, the anxiety around, you know, classmates missing school, also the same with um, teachers. Has there been an increase in the call for mental health supports? And, um, and if so, how, how is the district handling this? 
And Ross, what did the superintendent have to say? Well, the superintendent noted that, you know, we have allocated a social worker to every school, as well as family liaisons. Many, if not all of them, are bilingual and they're able to connect families with resources. These are two important steps, and it's going to be critical as we move forward in the coming weeks, months, and years, as we recover from this pandemic, to pay close attention to the mental health of our students and and really our staff in our schools and ensure that we're providing the appropriate supports for all of them. Yeah, this is really another pandemic that we're going to have to figure out how to address universally. The current COVID surge is really all-encompassing, and it was nice to hear so many specific, detailed-oriented questions from the committee about what the district is doing to address student and staff safety without disrupting learning. Russ, the superintendent said something in her comments about Martin Luther King Day on Monday, and we really appreciated it. I also urge you to look at Monday as a day on instead of a day off. Find a simple way to be of service to someone else. Take out the trash or pick up groceries for your elderly neighbor who may be too fragile to leave the house due to COVID. Call your families and friends and check on them. Send that hardworking teacher or frontline worker, healthcare professional in your life a note of thanks and appreciation. Make a donation to an organization with boots on the ground right here in Boston. As always, if you decide to interact with people, be sure to mask up and practice social distancing measures. You can both be safe and be of service. In this crazy time where there are so many people suffering, it really is love and kindness that is the antidote to that suffering. And we agree with her. We should all participate in the solution on Monday and every day. The meeting then moved on to public comment, and there were 77 people signed up to give public comments, the majority of which were parents calling for the school district to go remote. Ross, it felt like a lot of the discussion we were all having a year and a half ago. What did we hear last night? Well, Jill, you know, we we heard probably dozens of families uh, of of both students and parents and, and teachers saying, hey, we want a remote option. And they... They weren't necessarily saying we want it for all all kids or all schools or we want it for undefined period of time. They were saying for those students who may be immune compromised, for those families who may be immune compromised, there there should be a remote option. And many of them were saying at least through this surge, you know, so maybe for a few weeks or till February vacation. It's important to note virtual or, or remote learning is not an option under the state where the state has said, no, we want students in person uh, with safety measures. But we heard a lot uh, last night from families saying we want that as an option. We also heard from BPS saying that students will be marked uh, constructively present or present if they are isolating from coronavirus or need to be home for health or medical issues as long as they're accessing some of the learning resources that BPS has put out for those students. So while most of the public comments last night were on that topic, we also heard a few comments on three other topics. We heard many comments calling for the district to bring back sports, which was addressed earlier in the meeting during the superintendent's report. We heard a few comments on the Charlestown Innovation High School prospectus, which has been addressed at the last two meetings and has a vote coming up. And we heard several comments from parents and students at the PA Shaw Elementary School calling for an expansion of the grade levels at their school. Ross, what is the situation at the P.A. Shaw? Sure, Jill. So the P.A. Shaw was reopened. It was a school that was closed and then reopened as an early learning center in 2014. And it was set to grow essentially 
every year to up through fifth grade. And in fact, you know, that is stated on the, if you look at the BPS website, it says, if you're at the PA Shaw, um, the school will grow to grade five. For some reason, it was paused once they reached third grade. And there is an automatic feeder from the PA Shaw to the Mildred Ave School in grade four through eight. But the parents last night were saying, hey, we want the PA Shaw to be able to grow. We want it to grow at least through grade five. And we want all of our students to stay together. So it's, it's unclear right. what the issue is and why the school paused. And if they have a pathway to the Mildred Ave, what's the issue with that pathway? But we heard from some phenomenal students, I should say, last night and some concerned parents and a teacher about this issue. Next, the meeting moved on to approval of grants. This is usually a pro forma part of the meeting without much attention paid to it. But last night, there were two large ESSER grants approved. And so that's hundreds of millions in federal pandemic relief money given to the school district. So it was interesting, Ross, what was approved last night? Right. So first, there was ESSER 2. That's the, the last round of federal relief funding in the amount of $123 million to cover the time period from June 2021 through August of this year. There was another $276 million for ESSER 3 funds to cover the period of June 2022 to August 2023. Both of these sets of funds were allocated in the following manner. 50% will go to school investments, 10% to regional school innovation, and 30% to district-wide investments, and 10% to community partnership investments. So Ross, it's already 2022. Why are they just now approving SR2 funds that were received last summer? Jill, that's a great question. I'm not really sure of the answer. Here's another. This was a $400 million acceptance of funds unanimously approved last night. We're not totally sure about how the money is being spent. We haven't got a review of SR1 to inform SR2, and we haven't really understood yet how SR2 has been impactful to inform SR3. Now the school committee approved the grants in its entirety. It would seem that they have lost the ability to vote on any specific expenditures of those funds. The school committee still doesn't have the information that they've requested in previous meetings, but it looks like this is done. I mean, the funds are are now voted in and they should be used, hopefully, to support our students social, emotionally and academically. All right. Well, after the vote on grants, there were two presentations last night. The first was a report from the Homelessness Education Resource Network about the services that are being provided to the thousands of unhoused BPS students, as well as strategies for closing the opportunity gap. Russ, do you mind summarizing that presentation? Well, Jill, the the Homeless Education Resource Network does incredibly important work for the uh, students and families of Boston. Um, They ensure that every school in the district has the resources and the capacity to respond meaningfully to students who are experiencing homelessness, which is about 4,000 students across our school system every year. They essentially support each one of those students and put them on a a, a path to success. They support those students and families with transportation to provide stability, to make sure they can stay at the same school. They support them with other external resources, and most importantly, they support them with housing. They work with the city of Boston's housing office to make sure there's a plan and stability with those families that's longer term, that those families can find appropriate housing in our city. And they work with a network of about 175 school-based homeless liaisons who are in our schools, understanding the needs of our students, and really being the critical connector between uh, agencies, community partners, the families themselves, the schools, and it's, it's just really important work. 
And the second report of the evening was on school safety services. Let's talk about what happened there. It's really interesting. Last night, we heard that there's really been a a very uh, intentional move from having school police officers in our schools and really rebranding those school police officers to be safety officers. So we heard that uh, essentially these safety officers are now really focused on developing positive relationships and strategies for engaging in problem-solving, prevention, and partnership. They serve as liaisons for the Office of Safety Services to the school administrators and and in the buildings. They've actually been rebranded also with what they wear. I mean, they wear khaki pants now and polo shirts. All of their mobile-based vehicles are all now saying safety services rather than police on them. They do work with the police department, um, the Boston Police Department, but only in cases that involve emergencies or health and safety issues. And they're very careful about how they are sharing information with the Boston Police Department. And there's been a lot of discussions, as you remember, in the past about sharing information with the Boston Police Department about our students. And so the Safety Services Department only shares information through the chief or the deputy chief of safety services, or they may share information to the Boston Police Department if it is an emergency situation, such as if a student has gone missing or something to that effect. But Jill, you know, really what what we have here is a focus on prevention rather than reaction. Um, It's a focus on ensuring that our students have a strong connection with the adults in all of our schools. And it'll be interesting to see how this new strategy works uh, in our schools. So, Ross, how will school committee measure the success of this new program and new way of doing things? Well, it's a great question about data. You know, in the past, when we've seen presentations from the Boston School Police or Safety Services, we've heard about number of incidences that occur in our schools that need to be responded to. It'll be great to get data, you know, for school committee members to hear about data as this uh, as we go on to see how this new strategy of prevention is playing out with a number of incidents we have in our schools. It'd also be really good to hear maybe towards the end of the year from our students, our teachers, our our parents, and our school leaders about how they're feeling this difference with safety services versus Boston School Police. And, you know, what are the positives and what are the areas that we could work on? So overall, this was a great presentation, and it would also be good to hear further data in future meetings. What a night. Everything is in flux. Omicron has created a mess of a situation that is unpredictable and incredibly hard to manage. But through all of that, BPS is working hard to keep schools open, to keep kids and teachers safe, and to address the needs of students, family, and staff. Everything will probably look different by the next meeting, and we have to appreciate how hard everyone is working right now. And there are big forces, Jill, like enrollment and federal funding and school closures and expansions and health and safety measures that are going to drive the next big decision quickly confronting the school committee, the budget for the next school year, which we'll start hearing about in the coming weeks. And that's what happened last night at school committee. Normally, we conclude by asking the questions we're left with, but today we only have one question. Are the students, the families, and the staff of BPS okay? And what can we all do to help? And of course, there are ways to engage and get involved. As the superintendent said in her comments today, pay close attention to your families, your friends, your neighbors, and the people you see as you walk down the street. Lean in and do what you can to be part of the love and caring we all need in order to recover and heal from these past two years. And also sign up for our email list at shawfoundation.org to provide feedback on this podcast, receive updates on our work, and be notified when new podcast episodes are available. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. 
We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston's students. Have a great day.